Welcome to IT for Whiskey, a podcast for new or existing managed service providers and your occasional whiskey connoisseur. My name is Myron Herrera. My company is Cinetech Solutions. We are a MSP based out of Dallas. I'm also the CEO of GreenLink Networks, which is a voice over IP channel only. Business started in 2004. Combined, we're about 30 employees. You know, the reason I wanted to do this podcast was because I wanted to take that pain away from some of the new guys. I realized that a lot of the MSPs that were starting up were struggling with some of the same things that I struggled when we started our business. Meeting Craig and Joe, we shared the same passion and a lot of the same issues. My name is Craig Hickman. I'm with ProBlue in Bloomington, Indiana. ProBlue is a managed service provider. We started in 2005. I started with three employees and now we've grown to 11. We're a small shop servicing a little over 200 customers. This is a great opportunity for me to talk to other peers and learn what they have done and what they have not done well and avoid all those caveats. This is a learning experience for us and also hopefully helping others along the way. My name is Joe Ucia. I'm the CEO for Infinite IT. We're located out of Toronto, Canada. We're an MSP. We're currently about a dozen employees. We were originally founded in 1999. I believe in this podcast because I wish somebody was there to help and teach me a lot of the mistakes that they made and share their mind share on how to overcome issues. I was lucky enough to meet Craig and Myron a few years ago. I hope that you got a lot out of this podcast. Now here's your hosts, Myron, Joe, and Craig. Hello and welcome back to the next episode of IT for Whiskey. I am Craig Hickman with Joe Usia and Myron Herrera. What's up? What's up, boys? I have kind of lost count. I don't know how many of these we've done, but for the three of us to get together to do these is a magical feat. Truly is. It takes forever. But we do everything we can to make it happen. It's a priority in our books. This is episode 32. What are we talking about, boys? Money. Money, 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 money. The narrow pesos, dollars. It does make things a little easier when you have the moolah. You think? Two dollar bills. Two dollar bills all around. Anyone that knows Craig or has seen him at any of the events knows he has this tendency to hand out these pristine, crisp two dollar pills that he prints out in his basement. If you find me at an event and you hit me up for a two dollar bill, I will most likely hand you one. Early on when I first met Craig, we had the fantastic transaction where he gave me five two dollar American bills for a single purple Canadian ten dollar bill. I think I got screwed on that deal. We did this exchange. You did get screwed on that deal. Yeah, it was only a 30% exchange difference, so I kind of made three bucks on him. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if I did because I've never spent any of those $2 bills. They still sit in my safe at home. Who doesn't like a $2 bill? I don't know about that. I don't, I'm not believing that. I'm not believing that story. I'm not believing he never spent it. What do you say, Craig? All right. So, Joe, you and I were out one night downtown Toronto, went to an awesome sushi fusion restaurant, had a great meal, and what did I tip with? Two dollar bills. <laughs> yes, you did. Because that's all I had on me. <laughs> Quick side note: it, people here appreciate, here in Canada, appreciate two dollar American bills a lot more than my our cousins down south. Your your relatives in the U.S. We gave a, a lady couple of $5 bills Canadian as a tip for cleaning our room at Disney. And my wife forgot something and went back to pick up the, something in the room and found the $5 bills ripped. Well, they can't do anything with it. That's why. How can they rip? They're made of plastic. 
Right? I don't know. This lady must have been pissed. She must have been so a lot of effort to, to, to rip those masks. <laughs> she wasn't the smallest lady in the world, let's just say. Think about it. Let, let me, let's go in, in, in her shoes. How hard would it be for her to have that exchanged? Where would she go? She'd have to go to an airport? Or go to the bank and say, here. What do you think the bank's going to take the exchange here? Yes. I know when I go to TD Bank down there, because we have a place in Florida, and whenever I go to the TD Bank, I give them Canadian currency and they give me American back at fair trade. And not not for anything, but if I'm giving you a $10 tip for cleaning a freaking room, which 99% of the people down there do not tip, call it what it is. If they do, they'll throw a dollar bill down, maybe two. Maybe she thought it was play money. How? What is this Bank of Canada on it? Are you that ignorant? It was plastic. <laughs> By the way, the money is made of plastic. <laughs> it's not paper. No, it's actually a polymer. Even worse. Anyways. Here's a fact you guys don't know. The Canadian Mint that prints the Canadian currency also does the printing for, I think it's 70% of the world currencies. Do you know that 70% of the countries out there use the Canadian Mint to make its money? But they transact everything with American dollars. Who's that? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> So today's topic is money, and we're going to talk about when is a good time to look for money. And believe it or not, the right answer to that question is when you don't need it. Oh, that's an interesting topic. Everybody talks about go get money for your business or even personal when you don't need it. The banks are going to be harder to lend when you are in need of it. When your balance sheet looks like and your, and your P&L looks like you don't need it, that's when the banks are going to lend you money because their their first thing is going to say, all right, you need a hundred grand or 10,000 or a thousand dollars, whatever the number is, how are you going to pay me back? So when you're showing your P&L, you're showing your, your balance sheets, they want to know that you have the capability of paying it back. So it's when you don't need it. It becomes really difficult. It's not that it's impossible. Trust me, I've done that in the past. It's really difficult to get banks to lend you money or even investors, even investors. It's better to go to an investor when you don't need it than when you're strapped because they have the better advantage on the negotiation. The advantage at that time, right? When you have the money and you're looking down into the future, that's the time when you're looking to expand, then that, maybe that's the time when you need to get the money because you don't, you don't technically need it. Right. So I'll give you an example. Like right now, I'm potentially shopping for a house and it plays a little bit with the money and it, and it, and it doesn't. But, but hear me out. I, I have a feeling that the housing market is potentially going to go sour. I don't know how sour, but it's potentially going sour soon. I'm preparing ourselves financially, whether it is by just saving more money or negotiating with the banks and things like that right before stuff goes sour so that I can go ahead and, and buy a property when the pricing goes down. I'm doing it way before I really need the money because when I need it, it may be too late. The same applies for business. It's straightforward as that. We had a situation years ago. We were struggling to make do, and we we ended up having to borrow money from life insurance policies and things of that nature. Since then, whenever we are in a positive, we are also looking at the future and we're saying, okay, what are we looking to do 12 months from now? And 
what kind of cash do we need to do it? And Craig, Joe, you you guys been in similar situations? I mean, how do you how do you deal with it? Well, I go outside and I dig a deep hole, and this oil starts coming out of it. <laughs> and I'm like, Eureka! Well, you know, we got oil here in Texas. Well, in Indiana, we got oil everywhere. I don't know if you know about this. But anybody can dig a hole deep enough and eventually get the Texas oil. We <laughs> <laughs> goes down and sideways. That's how we do it. Uh, so most of the time when I'm looking to invest and looking at something new is I look, I look at our current situation and see what we're doing. But I have not yet capitalized on the ability to what I have available to me from banks or possible investors to expand our business. I have a, a client that we've done business with them for a long, long time. And I think they were like client number two for us for, for the MSP. So they're like 15 years or so. They're pretty big, a few hundred million dollars a year. They have a lot of cash. It's a very old company. And whenever they're building something new, they go to the bank. They have the cash to do it out of their, their own money, but they go to the bank and they borrow it. They don't, they don't use their own money. When you read books on entrepreneurship and stuff, they talk about others, people, money or OPM. And it's that. Is that not the OPP? No, it's not OPP. You know me. <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny is OPP stands for the police here in Ontario. So <laughs> we don't like that term too much. Okay. <laughs> you know, using other, other people's money. I mean, go, go to the bank, uh, especially these days where the interest rates are so, so damn low. Obviously, I'm not an accountant or whatnot, but it makes sense to go out and, and use other people's money when it comes to that, that financing. So, but what happens if you're so small? that you or startup or first couple of years of business, because everyone likes to see at least two years of financials, right? So that means you're in year three. And if you've survived that far, which I think the statistics are something like 30% of businesses survive the first two years. What do you do in the meantime? And you know, I, I remember I went to, I'm trying to remember who it was, but there was a, a session I went to years ago on the topic of you know entrepreneurship and, and fundraising and financing and, and, and hit the network up that you know, hit the network up that you have first, obviously. Because people believe in people when you're first starting out. Brainstorm a list of people you know, and then kind of categorize them by trust. Do they trust you? Do they have money is important. Obviously, you don't want to go to your grandma that's on a pension check to uh, ask for, for some money. For some seed investment. <laughs> right. But, but you have to also remember one thing. Some people are much more emotionally attached to their money than others. And in the banks do the same thing where they gauge your risk tolerance when you're doing investments. They'll want to know how emotionally attached you are to your money to see what level of risk you're willing to take when you invest in things like mutual funds and bonds and whatnot. Well, I remember the guy said, who's your best bet to, to actually get money from? And at the end of the day, I mean, that might be the only way to go forward is, is to go to people you know, because banks, I know, especially up here, they don't really finance businesses anymore. It's really, really hard. Unless you go to what we have, uh, we've got something called the Business Development Bank of Canada. Unless you go to someone like that, but even then it's not the easiest thing in the world and they want two years financials and blah, 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 blah. So for us, that that's the, the equivalent of the SBA, the Small Business Administration. When you're starting up, you, yeah, you want to go reach out to those, your network, right? People that you know and things like that. If you do have a couple of clients and you have good relationships with them, 
You'd be surprised. Some clients are, they have the money uh, sitting there and they're looking to invest. Maybe it's a, it's a loan or, or maybe they want to invest in the business. So you would be comfortable going to a client and asking them for an investment into your company, even though they're an actual client of yours. I said, you have to have a good relationship with them. If you started the business, most likely there was one client that you have a special bond with that helped you kind of start the business out and that client is most likely invested in you they're trusting your their it side of the company to you so they may be willing to lend you money the other piece is that and i think we talked about this in episode 25 with the why credit cards credit card companies if you are accepting credit cards or ach there is always options to use a merchant loan. And it's a very easy loan, even for a starting business. I think they only require like six months or so of business. And it could be with uh, American Express has a merchant loan department, and there's a ton of them out there. These merchant loans, they're short term, but they do help. So if you're, if you're, Doing 10000 for the last three months on your credit card processing, as an example, they'll probably lend you 20000 and make you pay it. Maybe on the first loan, they'll make you pay within six months. And then the second loan, they'll extend it to a year and, and so on and so forth. But it does help. It's, it's a lifeline. Um, and, it, and it's very easy to get approved. And if you've got a really unique offering that's really different, another option, angel investors. Now, there's pros and cons to angel investors for sure. We've never leveraged angel investors. We've looked at it. I'm sure probably everyone's heard of them. They're great really when you want to scale your business beyond your own capacity. But angel investors are usually the the bar to invest in a business is a lot lower for angel investors. They're there because they don't have an emotional attachment to their money and they want to see their money grow. So that's the key thing. You got to show them how you can make their money grow because it's their own personal money. They typically don't have you know money from public function or public venues and whatnot. It's someone that's amassed a good sum of money and let's say they got a million dollars in the bank and they want to put 10 to 100 grand into a business to see if they can grow it to 200 or 300. Well, what happens is that, like you said, they have this money in the bank. They're getting a small percentage of interest at the bank. So they're willing to risk a certain percentage. The one thing from my personal experience is that hold off on trying to get an investor into your business as long as you can. Do whatever it takes. But you also want to do it when you were at the best opportune moment because you don't want to be in the situation where you you need the cash. Because as you said earlier, you don't want to be in a situation where, okay, I'm hurting, I need the cash, you go look for it versus I don't necessarily need it, but I want to expand. Correct. So there, there's two pieces. One, if we're talking about this, the person that's starting, I would drag needing to get an investor of any kind for the longest time. Now, that doesn't mean you can't approach some of these people and go for a loan. If you're credit worthy or if you got some new business coming in, you can leverage the new account or some something like that. Go out and get a loan, wh- whether it's from a friend. I mean, a lot of people have 401k loans uh, of money that you can borrow from. I know somebody that uses their 401k and, and they do financing with their 401k. So basically people can go and borrow money from them and they basically do it like 8% interest, let's say as an example. The bank's typically four, but the person's strapped and can't get it at the bank. So they go to this person, they do it for eight, which is more than what they're getting at their 401k. That provides provides options. Look for many ways of getting money before going to an investor. Because once you give a piece of the pie, 
it's really hard for you to get it back. You, you want to grow that pie as much as you can before you, before you give that up. I do like pie. I do not like rhubarb pie <laughs> at all. Blueberry pie. Anything with rhubarb in it, I am out. <laughs> Just want to put that out there. And to talk about uh, where to get extra money, you know, if you're asking friends and family for money, remember, you're not asking for charity. Don't position it like they're, it's a charity case. If it's a really out there wacky business, well, maybe it is a charity case. But if you've got a dream and you've got a vision or your business is doing well and you want to get it to the next level, going to ask family or friends for money is not a, a charity case. I always say, if you're going to ask friends or family for money, make it real. Put it on paper. Say, hey, you know what? Here's the plan. I want to grow this by X percent. If you give me X dollars, I'm going to give you an X return on your money. And this is when you're going to get your money back. If you show, like if anybody came to me and said, you know what? I need 10 grand to start this business. Yeah, it's risky, et cetera, et cetera. But guess what? In 12 months, I'll pay you back the 10 grand plus, I don't know, $1,000 or $2,000 for taking a risk on me. You know what chances are? I'd say, okay, sounds good. Let me see what you're trying to do and let me understand the business better. And if it sounds like a sound idea, if a friend came to me and asked me, for that money, I'd give it to them. And I have in the past where, hey, Joe, I need $10,000. I would give that, I'd give you 20. I'd just give me an address. Sweet. You guys are the best of buds. I wouldn't even think twice. Again, going back to what I said originally, the people who you trust, right? Because I know that my good friend, Craig, and I trust the two of you. And Craig would not take that money and end up at like some place in Tijuana. He might. <laughs> well, if you guys knew Nicole or know Nicole, that would never happen. <laughs> My I would be so SOL. <laughs> I'd really like this Weller 107 that I'm drinking. How much of that have you had already? We're not talking about that. <laughs> On, on Myron's pre-recommendation earlier on before the podcast, I cracked open an older bottle. I have the Iran Malt Single Malt. It's cask finish. It's so good. Uh, we're actually drinking very similar. I'm, I'm actually drinking a run malt as well, a single malt 14 year. This stuff is good. I, it was a buddy of mine that showed it to me a little bit over a year ago. I think I talked about it in another episode, but I had a bottle here and cracked it open. It's good. I got the pork cask finish. Which one do you have? I have the regular cheap one. <laughs> <laughs> I have the original weeded bourbon, Kentucky straight bourbon, Weller 107, 107 proof, baby. Wow. Oof. Yeah, we could tell. <laughs> good. Never mind. This one I'm drinking is 100 proof, so you're not far off. I'm not that far behind you. Mine's the normal stuff. You don't have to talk down about it. Not up there. Just because Joe's better than you. No, but you know what? Even all their, I, I like the, the Iran distillery. I like it's a great distillery. I, I don't think I've tried any of their uh, products I didn't like. I've had three bottles uh, from them and um, they've all been good. The local liquor store here sometimes runs a special and they're like $45 a bottle. So how can you go wrong? You got to love the Isle of Aaron, La Shranza. Mm hmm. One other thing to mention as well, a lot of banks do have small business loans where you do write it up personal, like so you're personally guaranteeing it. It could be something like 10, 20, 25 grand. If you've got good credit rating, those are relatively easy to get to help you fund it. The interest component's also not too aggressive. Uh, I've seen anywhere from like two and a half to 5% on prime 
usually variable, but you know, if you just need some quick seed cash, um, that's always an option as well. And they don't really talk about your business too much. They they care more about who you are and your ability to repay personally, which kind of lends itself to the, my final thought on this. The smartest thing to do before you go 100% out on your own is to make sure you have about six months of cash flow for your personal life covered, not lifestyle, life. I'm talking about mortgage, car payment, gas, insurance, et cetera, et cetera, kids stuff, whatever. Yeah, but that's, you know what though, guys, that's, that's in an ideal world. You know, uh, when I, if I would have waited for that, I would have never started my business. I started with no money. I was late in my rent payment and I walked into an office after going through a bunch of offices that said no to me and negotiated for the customer to pay me an upfront check of $5,000 for a book of hours. And that's how I funded the business and pay my rent. And from there, Giovanni and I pushed, 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 hustled, and continued to get new accounts and grew. Can I, can I just ask you a personal question there, Martin? Did you have any safety net? Not at the time. That is risky. That is a true entrepreneur. I had nothing. There was nothing there. I've talked about it before. I, I don't come from a family that had a lot of money. We had to do whatever we could. And that's fair. I, I want to talk about some other things. And I've mentioned these guys before. They're called Funbox. Funbox.com, Cabbage with a K.com, OnDeck.com, Bluevine is another one.com. Those are all great ways that you can get some small business loans very quick. Their approval process is very different. Some of them will look at your merchant. Some of them will look at your accounts receivable and provide loans. A Funbox has a pretty cool integration where it, it ties into your QuickBooks file. And as soon as you invoice out to a customer, you're able to pay out that invoice via Funbox and basically it deposits the money in your bank account and then you just owe it back to them as a loan. You still go to your, your customer and you get your customer to pay you and all that good stuff, but you get the money up front. So if you have a big sale, you know, let's say you, you land a customer that wants a $50,000 of equipment or whatever, uh, you invoice out the customer, maybe it's, it's going to take a couple of days and you want the cash up front or whatever. I don't recommend you do that, but you want the cash up front before, <laughs> before you buy anything. But if you need the cash or strap for cash that that's a great way to get some money real quick there's there's options out there look for it look for it don't give up up here in canada www.canada.ca forward slash business that's where you get a bunch of options as well for small business financing from ten thousand to a million dollars some of it's similar to the sba or what we call sbl if you're not in farming which most of you wouldn't be then you would qualify but there's another one called companycapital.ca that they also help out a lot uh, with small businesses. Thinkingcapital.ca. Thinking Capital is similar to Fundbox, but uh, we've got something else that's really cool. We have uh, something called uh, research and development credits. And if you've got any proprietary process for your MSP business that you can go and apply, you can actually either get actual cash or tax credits, which are up here because we're taxed so heavily, just as good as cash. We, we have a research and development credit. Uh, it's a tax credit. You, we can apply that. Talk to your accountant or tax consultant locally. Right. We, we call it SHRED. That's what we call it. It's the SHRED tax credits. But it's scientific research and experimental development. That's what it stands for. Wherever you may be around the world, the first thing I would do if you're looking at getting uh, low cost and or low 
value financing and or tax credits to help you with cash flow and whatnot. Talk to your local government. Your your federal government's the first place to start, I'd say. And then move your way down to, you know, your regional government and you'll find that there are actually a lot more programs than you realize. Not only that, but there are consultants and specialists that'll help you navigate those programs. Like I know a shred up here, there's consultants that will submit on your behalf, do all the paperwork, do everything. And that's all they do. And they take 25%. Yeah, that's a lot of money though. But if you get nothing, they give you, you cost you nothing. Well, absolutely. Yeah, I get it. I get it. So on the US side, the SBA, is a, there's a big website about that. Please look at it. Your economic development department in your local town or city can connect you with the right people. Sometimes if you create a great relationship with the person, they'll actually get your leads and all that good stuff. So that's always good. And there is a... There's another division that is of retired executives that help you grow your business. I don't remember off the top of my head. And uh, if I don't remember, but by the time we end the, the episode, Giovanni, you're, I'm sure you're listening to this. Please help me put that information out because I know we dealt with them when we first started and they were very helpful. So it's basically retired CEOs or CFOs or, or whatnot. And they guide you through the beginning processes of your business and sometimes help you find that angel investor or help you get that loan approved and whatnot. But don't, don't give up any equity until you have to. If you believe in it, keep pushing, go out there, find the money, finance it. As we talked in the past, Use credit cards so that customers can can pay you with credit cards. So that way you get cash up front. It's worth a couple of points. Score. I was a little late to the game there. Score. That's what it's called. It's called score.org. So score, one of my uh, early on mentors was actually the father to the vice president of Starbucks. One of the questions I had to him is, do you ever, ever have to pay for Starbucks? And he said, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. It's, it's part of, it's a resource partner to the SBA. So they, they help hand in hand for small businesses to grow. So definitely hit them up. It's worth it. And this episode will air before exchange, right? Yep. I'm going to exchange. Who's going to exchange? I'm going to exchange. I think we all are. Yay. I'm not guaranteed, but most likely. (laughs) <laughs> You're guaranteed. Well, I'm, I'm always the misnomer. You never know if Craig's going to show up or not. Well, it's been 30 minutes already. So please follow us, subscribe, comment. Uh, I think we should make some kind of contest for those that like and subscribe and comment so that we can send them a t-shirt or a scotch glass or something like that. We got scotch glasses. We got t-shirts. And massages from Craig. Oh, yeah. I am the best massagist here. I'm the only one that's licensed. I I have a license. (laughs) (laughs) Driver's license. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this was helpful. I know that money and finances for me was one of the hardest areas of the business when we were starting. So I hope this helps. And uh, if you're going to exchange, we will see you there. Remember, subscribe. Like, share, comment, just send us feedback. We love hearing from our fans. Like and listen. And uh, shout out to Greg from One Click. Yes. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the comments. We'll see you at Exchange. Kevin, take it away. That's all for this episode of IT for Whiskey, a podcast by MSPs to help MSPs. Don't forget to spread the word, like, and subscribe at IT for Whiskey dot com. Oh.
halfway. I'm already. I drank a quarter of it already. Kevin, did you get that? Yes, you did. 